Hi, my name's Madalena Kay, and I'm the host of the podcast AI and You, produced by Europod in partnership with Podium Podcast, Agence France Press, and Cora Media. In AI and You, we deal with the history of AI and how it is having an impact on our lives. From social relationships to employment, from climate change to wars and security. Is AI changing our world for the better or the worse? Come and check it out for yourself. Subscribe to AI and You wherever you listen to podcasts. You're a bud. And so there are other routes that people take, um, notably through the Alps. And these are much more dangerous routes because it's alpine territory, it's high elevation, um, it's very cold, it's, there's snow for many months of the year. And this is the route that Blessing decided to take. On May 9, 2018, as many European citizens were celebrating Europe Day, the dead body of a young black woman was found in the French river of Durance, not far away from the Franco-Italian border. It was the body of Blessing Matthew, a Nigerian girl in her early 20s. As many people from Africa, Blessing crossed the Mediterranean Sea, aiming for a better life in Europe. But she encountered death in unclear circumstances. According to some witnesses of the night that led to Blessing's death, whatever happened needs to be examined in relation to the actions undertaken by the French police patrolling the border. This year, on October 25th, after investigation by the French police was declared inconclusive and two attempts to bring Blessing's case to court in France were dismissed, Two Migrant, a French migrant advocacy organization, announced that it had filed an appeal with the European Court of Human Rights. Welcome to Europe Talks Back, a podcast that shines a light on often unreported stories from across Europe. My name is Alexander Damiano Ricci. Coming up in this podcast, the death of Blessing Matthew and what it tells us about the situation on the Franco-Italian border. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We'll be right back. Blessing Matthew was a young woman from Nigeria. She grew up there with a family of nine children. Her mother was a farmer. She graduated high school there. And in 2016, Blessing decided to leave Nigeria to try to get to Europe. So she would have been 18 or 19 when she left uh, Nigeria. She already had a sister living in Italy and she left with another of her sisters and they got to Libya and they were stuck in Libya for several months. And eventually each of them made it onto a boat to try to cross the Mediterranean. So Blessing's boat arrived in Italy Her sister's boat was caught by the Coast Guard and turned back to Libya, and she was sent back to Nigeria. Um, so she then had to restart her journey and did also eventually make it to Italy. But when Blessing made it to Italy, she was put in a center for asylum seekers near Torino, and she stayed there for 
nearly two years waiting to have her situation regularized so that she would be able to work. Um, but that never happened for her. She was never able to get the legal paperwork in order to stay in Italy. She was never able to find work. And so she eventually decided in May of 2018 to try to get to France. So to cross the border from Italy into France, um, there are a few different locations. The first one is near Ventimiglia, um, and that is a much more populated area. There are large towns and cities on both sides of the border there. Um, and it's a much more urban crossing. So people will often try either on a train or by road or walking along the road. Um, but it also means it's much easier to police that area. So people are sent back up to 100 people a day will try to cross and then are sent straight back to Italy. And so there are other routes that people take, um, notably through the Alps. And these are much more dangerous routes because it's Alpine territory, it's high elevation. Um, it's very cold. It's, there's snow for many months of the year. And this is the route that Blessing decided to take. So she got to a small Italian town called Clavier, and a group of uh, activists had set up a migrant shelter just across the border on the Italian side there. And that's what people used as a starting point before they would actually cross the border into France. And the town that they're trying to get to in France is called Briançon. It's about 15 kilometers from the border. And they do that entire part of the journey on foot and often at night in order to avoid police. And the reason that they have to take these risky routes is that theoretically the border between France and Italy is a Schengen border. So that means it should be open. It shouldn't be policed in this way. But since 2015, France has closed this border with Italy, which means that there are checks in place and it makes it much more difficult for people to cross. But we know that Blessing left Clavier on the night of May 6th, and the, the last time she was seen was in the early hours of the morning, May 7th, um, in the small French town called La Vachette. So she left Clavier in a group of 25 people who left the migrant shelter that night all to cross the border and get to Briançon. And because Blessing was walking more slowly, she separated from the group with two other travelers and they crossed the border together. And they made it to this small village of La Vachette. And at that point, one of the fellow travelers saw some flashlights and they realized it was police. So they separated, they hid, um, and Blessing and another traveler ended up in a small garden that was near the river that runs through this town of La Vachette, the Durance River. And the police were searching and one of the travelers who hid in this garden saw the police come into the area and heard the police have an interaction with Blessing. And um, at that point, what happened is Blessing fell into this breathing river in May um, and it's unclear what happened after that, but the, the other traveler heard Blessing shouting, help me, help me. And the next thing we know is that her body was found two days later uh, in a, stuck in a dam in Prel, which is a town a bit further down the river. On May 9th, the body of a young black woman is found in this dam in Prel, and an investigation is started and they find out that it's Blessing Matthews. And there's a police investigation to find out what has happened to lead to her death in these circumstances. And at the same time, local activists mobilize to say, we have been warning 
the state that the militarization of this border would lead to deaths. There have been reports of police violence at this border, and this is the first death that was documented in this region, but there have been 46 deaths at the Franco-Italian border since that border was closed in 2015. It's an ongoing problem, and it's a continually dangerous and violent border. My name is Janina Pasinski, and I'm a Leverhulme Trust doctoral scholar at Queen Mary University of London, working on questions related to migration, citizenship, and borders. We'll be right back. So, in the first part of this podcast, we discovered the story of Blessing Matthew. We ourselves at Europe Talks Back came across this story by reading a blog post by Janina Pesinski on the blog Ideas on Europe. So for this very special episode, we asked Janina to tell us the story of Blessing, but also to discuss with us what the story of Blessing tells us about the Franco-Italian border. So in the second part of this podcast, we interview Janina on topics such as border controls within and migration to Europe. So this is me speaking to Janina Pesinski, doctoral scholar at Queen Mary University of London. So, Janina, thanks for bringing us this story about the life and death of Blessing Matthews. After her death, obviously things did not stop there because there was an investigation, but tell us how things went. So what happened was there was initially a French police investigation. The result of that investigation is that no one was found culpable in Blessing's death. So one of the local associations in Briançon that advocates for migrant rights, it's called Tous Migrants, they were in touch with Blessing's sister in Italy, and they made a complaint to the public prosecutor to open a case, open an investigation in order to determine the truth of what happened in Blessing's death and to bring justice for her. And cases were brought on two occasions and both were dismissed because insufficient evidence was found in order to pursue the case. So at that point, the case was finally dismissed in mid-2021. And at that point, Border Forensics, which is an organization of academics and activists, I would call them, who do investigations for truth and justice at different borders around the world. They stepped in to conduct a new investigation to try to find out what happened to Blessing. Fair enough. But why was this new investigation, this journalistic investigation almost needed? Because in looking at the records from the French police investigation, they had not gotten testimony from Blessing's fellow travelers. One of them had a brief phone interaction with French police, but they didn't thoroughly take a statement from him. And the statements that had been given from the police who interacted with Blessing that night were very contradictory about what time different things happened, about where they were when different interactions happened. And so there were contradictions in their statements. So what Border Forensic did is they looked at the statements of police and did a visual reconstruction, placing police where they would have been if all of their testimonies played out the way they did. But they also got new testimony from Hervé, who was one of the people traveling with Blessing that night and his version of the series of events that happened. And they found that putting the different pieces of evidence together, Hervé's testimony is very credible. It's consistent. When you place it, they brought him back to La Bachette, the small town where all this happened. And when you place his story in the location, it makes a coherent narrative that shows that it could be that police were involved in putting Blessing in a situation that put her in danger, that led to her fall into the river. 
On the basis of this new investigation, Tous-Migrant has made a complaint to the European Court of Human Rights to open a case for Blessing Matthew to find out and bring truth and justice for her. That was October 25th of this year, 2022. So let's try to zoom out a bit from Blessing's story. What does the case of Blessing tell us about this specific border between France and Italy and more generally about borders inside the European Union, maybe? So it tells us a few things about this border. First, that the border is a space that produces violence on people. But it also tells us that people are determined to cross that border no matter what. And we know this from other borders around the world. Making borders more difficult to cross and making borders more dangerous doesn't dissuade people from making their journeys. Um, and we've seen this in the Mediterranean where thousands of people have unfortunately lost their lives. And yet people continue to get on boats and cross the Mediterranean because they consider that they have no other option. And so at the Franco-Italian border, it's a particular legal context because often we talk about what's happening at Europe's external borders. So we talk about the Mediterranean because this is the gateway to Europe. But the Franco-Italian border is within the EU. It's part of the Schengen Agreement, both France and Italy, which means that there should be freedom of movement between the two countries and that there aren't normally controls at this border. But as I mentioned, France suspended the Schengen Agreement in 2015, and it has renewed its suspension repeatedly. And this means that it's reintroduced controls at this border, and it makes it increasingly difficult for people to cross. So they take more dangerous routes, and it puts their lives in danger when police are patrolling those areas and people take risky pathways in order to avoid the police. And so something that the activists in the Alps are very insistent on is that it's not the mountains themselves that are dangerous. It's the militarization and policing that happens that makes this area dangerous. Right. Let's pause here for a minute. You use the term militarization. I think it would be good to explain what you mean by that. Yeah. So basically, it means turning the border into a hostile space. So the border is not a visible line, but when you introduce checkpoints and police who patrol the area with powerful flashlights, with drones, with night vision technology, it turns it almost into a battlefield. And you have two very unequal sides, the police with all of their technology and the power of the law behind them and people who are just trying to get across the border. And importantly, asylum seekers have the right to cross the border. So they should not be chased and turned back in this way. And what ends up happening is that there are police chases that take place at this border. There are police who are stopping people and checking their papers. And if they don't have the right papers, turning them back to Italy, even though they should be allowed to make an asylum claim. Fair enough. Right. I believe, nevertheless, that the question needs to be asked, to what extent is there also support for this militarization of the borders in that specific region by people who live? those territories. I guess that obviously we can sympathize with who is providing solidarity, but to understand the phenomenon, can we say something about the support for these militarization measures? Of course. And in, in Brionton, it's complex because it's a big tourist area. And there are, of course, local people who think that migrants coming is a threat to the tourist industry. And there are people who support the state putting in place stricter measures. And there are also people from outside the immediate area who support the militarization of the border. So again, in 2018, there was an action done by the group Génération Identitaire. It's a now disbanded association. It was dissolved by the French state. 
Um, but they were a, a far right group who are against migration, against Islam. And they rented helicopters and wore blue jackets um, that look rather similar to the jackets worn by police. And they occupied the Col de l'Echelle with, you know, a giant banner that said, no way, you won't make Europe your home, go back to where you came from. And so they were demonstrating, you know, in favor of closed borders, in favor of excluding migrants. So Janina, you have given us until now knowledge about what militarization means and we understood how a border can be an invisible line but at the same time a physical obstacle and it can become violent but i guess the question of all questions the mother of all questions if i may is why is all of this happening right now in europe i think this speaks to broader migration policy as a whole because the reason that people take risky journeys is because they don't have other ways of making that journey. So they don't have a different way of choosing to come to a European country. So I, for example, am an American citizen, and I was able to choose to go to France and to do this research because I have a US passport that enables me to apply for a certain kind of visa that I know will be granted to me and that I can go and live in France for a year or two to do this research. People who are coming from Nigeria or from other countries in Africa and the Middle East don't have those pathways accessible to them. And so when they don't have options for making a safe life in their home country, whether it's for safety reasons or economic reasons or people's motivations are complex and no one leaves for one single reason, there's always multitude of motivations But they can't choose any country in Europe and simply say, oh, well, I think I'll apply for a visa to Germany and then get on a plane the next day. So they end up undertaking these risky journeys. And that has to do with the migration policies that we implement in these European countries about who we choose to allow to come and who we don't choose to allow to come. And many of the people who are coming are going to seek asylum. Uh, and that's because they have a, a credible fear that If they return to their home country, they will be in danger and potentially being killed, again, for various reasons. But people who are asylum seekers under international law can enter a country and make that asylum claim, and the government has to process their claim and determine whether it's credible. But if there were other migration pathways open, if there were different kinds of visas that allowed people to come and to work, um, I think we'd see a lot less people undertaking risky journeys because there would be legal pathways for them to do this. Fair enough, you have spoken as to the incentives that let and make people move. And I understand that. But I think that the militarization of the Franco-Italian border is not something that was always there. So the question becomes, why has it become so at a certain point in time, if it has? And correct me if I'm wrong. So what we've seen is it has become more militarized since 2015. And again, it's a confluence of factors that have led to this. So first is the reintroduction of border controls which means that there have to be people there to enforce those controls. Then this coincided with various terrorist attacks that took place in France, um, notably the attacks that happened in Paris in November of 2015. And unfortunately, there is often a conflation of migration with terrorism, um, even though none of the people who took part in the November Paris attacks were migrants. In the public discourse and in the political discourse, there is this merging of the two topics. 
And so one visible way for countries to say that they are engaging in the fight against terrorism is to police borders and to police foreigners. So that's another contributing factor to the militarization of this border. During the COVID-19 pandemic, during the various lockdowns and um, controls that were put in place as public health measures, this also led to an increased policing of this border because people's mobility was further restricted. And so this is one way that the state can make visible their policy, on the one hand, anti-terrorism, but also saying that we're being tough on migration, look at how we're controlling our borders. Right. So let me ask you what your research is specifically about and how is it linked to the case of blessing? So my research is looking at the criminalization of solidarity with migrants. Because, so we've talked about how migrants themselves are policed and criminalized for their mobility, but that has been enforced to a point that now even people who are acting in solidarity and providing assistance to migrants are themselves being policed and criminalized. So at this specific location on the Franco-Italian border in the French town of Briançon, citizens themselves have stepped in to help migrants who have crossed the border. And so they've set up a shelter that houses people once they've crossed the border. And there's also a practice that's referred to locally as maraud, which means that people go up into the mountains at night in order to find people who have crossed the border because they recognize that they're in a potentially dangerous situation. So they go looking for people in order to bring them to safety. And these people have been heavily policed and criminalized. Several of them have been brought to trial and accused of facilitating crossing of the border. And so I'm looking at that practice to understand how and why the state is criminalizing its own citizens for helping migrants. So we got to know your work because we bumped into an article published on Ideas on Europe. And I found that blog post interesting because you mentioned also the relationship between you as a researcher and the local community on the ground, where you have spent some time, I think, to analyze problems and probably also know better the story of blessing. So I was wondering how did all of this change also your mindset as a researcher? So I would say that what I've learned from my own research and from spending time in this area, I've spent a lot of time with the migrants who are crossing the border there with the people locally who are activists that have attended various trials that have taken place. And on the one hand, we see this process of criminalization as part of how the state is policing mobility and finding new ways of doing that through repressing solidarity. But on the other hand, you see that it doesn't dissuade citizens and activists from continuing to do what they think is right. So it's a struggle between what people themselves believe should be happening and what the state is enforcing in terms of policy. And so what I argue is that people themselves are finding new ways of being citizens and of enacting their citizenship, even when it contradicts the state. And I've learned enormously from the migrants and activists at this border that these solidarity practices can't be stopped or repressed no matter what measures the state uses, people will continue to make their journeys and come, and there will always be people who will act in solidarity with them. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. Janina, thanks a lot for sharing your knowledge with us and also the story of Blessing Matthew. Thank you so much for inviting me. We'll be right back. 
You can follow Janina's work on Twitter at Janina Pesinski. That's J-A-N-I-N-A. P-E-S-C-I-N-S-K-I. If you want to read the blog post by Janina, through which we discovered Blessing's story, you can find it at Ideas on Europe, the blog of UACES, the Association for Contemporary European Studies. Also, a big shout out for the special investigation conducted by the people behind Border Forensics, which led the association to Migrant to file an appeal with the European Court of Human Rights. You can check their work at www.borderforensics.org. At Europe Talks Back, we will continue to keep an eye on the case of Blessing Matthew. And this is it for this week's episode of Europe Talks Back. The producer of Europe Talks Back is Antoine Lheureux. Sound design is by Jérémy Boquet. Editorial background research and script writing by Maria Dios and myself. Editing and mixing is by Jérémy Boquet and Thomas Kusberg. Promotion and marketing by Katrin Skapadas. My name is Alexander Damiano Ricci. We'll be back next Friday. <laughs>